0: This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am sitting here with Dr. Brad Dieter. Uh, Brad, do you want to say hi to everybody?
1: Yeah, good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on here again with Paul. we got a, a really good topic on the docket for today, so it's going to be fun to, to hear Paul's thoughts on these these issues, too. So it's, uh, it'll be a good conversation, that's for sure.
0: So we have a, a, a couple ideas, but, but we're just going to jump right in, because normally we have a theme first. Um, And then we have a few questions, and we're going to kind of do it in reverse at this point. We're going to go through a few questions first, and then we're going to start to get into the theme after that. So, um, you know, all the stuff, buy, eat, perform, blah, 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 right? We're moving on, podcast. Um, So uh, one of the things that, that has come up recently, and you know when we're in the coaches certification which we have a new certification that's going to be coming up here within uh, a couple weeks and Brad teaches that along with dr. Mike Nelson Jen Patterson's a contributor all all our PhDs and so what uh, what continuously comes up every single time we do the certification um, is how we get clients to a deficit. And honestly, guys, that is probably the easiest thing to explain. Um, and so I'm gonna run through all pieces of what is, you know, kind of a standard question. And I'm just gonna pull it up here. I know this doesn't make for a great podcast, but it's going to make for a great topic. So Wendy was asking, just finished uh, the module uh, week five so basically the certification is broken down into modules and then we we sort of test people on it we also by the way recently got uh, approved for ace credits which is nice um, so first of all you basically need to be eating your TV macros until your weight performance stabilizes Then cut right well kinda of break down pieces of that question you know it sort of suggests that that you just go up to total daily energy expenditure and you you pay the price you know and maybe you gain a lot of weight in that process what i want to be super clear on is that you do not have to gain weight in that process if you gain weight in that process you gained that weight right the process basically can go as slow or as fast as you want it to go the faster you get it to go right and and we need to talk about two pieces right everybody wants to break this down as if it's super complicated and it's really not super complicated um one how much are you doing and two how much are you eating right so if you've been under eating for a very long time and your calories are at 1300 and you've stalled well, we're going to show you the only formula for getting, you know, out of that. And let's say that we take somebody from thirteen hundred to twenty-two hundred, okay. Then basically, you know, for simplistic terms, that would be, you know, a nine-week phase, or or or, you know, it. it the phases are sort of interesting because, you know. We also use these as we reverse clients out of dieting and or deficits, I apologize. Um, but you control how quickly or slowly you want to walk through those phases, right? So what I think happens for a lot of people, they're like, well, I've gotta, you know walk through this baseline as quickly as possible so I can get to the dieting part. It's like, okay. Well, tell me how much resistance training you're doing, how much weight you're gaining in that process. And that should tell us whether or not you need to slow down, you know? And, um, I don't think the whole point of eat to perform. Well, I, I actually know that the whole point of eat to perform, <laughs> you know, isn't to like, just throw a bunch of weight on people. But I think what happens for a lot of folks is they're coming from a really restricted, do and do not list way of eating, right? Or really super low calorie, and all of a sudden it becomes cheesecake time. And it's like, you can't go from 1,300 calories to 2,200 calories and eating cheesecake and starting to drink beer again and stuff like this, you know? And for some people, it's not even just that. You know, I mean, you can go from 1300 to 1500, but if you've been avoiding starches for a long time, you're going to see a little bit of weight increase. Some of that actually translates to muscle over time, but for some people, the phases need to be longer. Okay. For other people that, you know, I would argue that the better you are as an athlete, and the more capacity that you have the quicker you can go through the phases but if you're a 62 year old female and you've been dieting since you were 14 years old we got to have a hard discussion right and that discussion is you're going to have to pay a little bit of the price for the bad approach you take to actually make the good approach work and you know what your level of patience might be the thing that that you know keeps you in that rinse and repeat cycle um, any thoughts on that Brad because I mean I think that that's a fairly there's there's one thing uh, There's one thing that I want to say once you say your piece and then we can kind of move on to how we get to the deficit piece
1: Yeah, you know, I think this is one of those things. That's you know perfect for to draw an analogy to the, the training piece, you know, it's like All of us really intuitively know that you can't make I mean you can't go from a hundred pound squat to a 400 pound squat just because your training program on paper says week one, you're squatting hundred pounds, week 12, you're squatting 400 pounds. Like, you know that your progress through that's going to be dictated by how your body responds to training, right? It's like you might have it written on the program that you've got to do this percent this week and this percent the next week and this percent the next week. But if your body's not responding, you're not going to be able to do the training. So the food piece is very similar, right? You're, you're, you're at a certain point. And we've got to get you to a different point, but the rate of change through that journey is going to be so different for everybody. And you can't view it as, you know, here's, here's where I want to be. And I'm just going to get there as fast as possible. It's like, you, you've got to know that you are where you are. And each step along the way is an important step. Don't just try to zoom through to the end. You, you've got to go through the process.
0: So... The, que- the, the real question and the next piece of the question is, is how long does the client need to be at that baseline before they can start to cut? And, you know, once again, we sort of get to this place constantly where, you know, the focus is the cut part, you know? And what we're really trying to focus people on with Eat to Perform, our brand message, if you buy the Eat to Perform certification okay is that it's not the low numbers that is going to be the super secret right we're not saying to you that there can't be a deficit at some point but what we are saying to you is that the longer your clients are out of that deficit i mean i had a a lady talk to me one time and she said you know i've been doing eat to perform for six weeks you know um, I'm weight stable, but uh, you know I'm getting really frustrated because I'm not losing any weight. And I I asked her what she had been doing, and she said she was doing low carb, she was doing paleo, and nothing was really showing her results. I said, "How long have you done some variants of all those things?" And she said, "My whole life." I said, "So you can't give me like six more weeks? You know what I mean? Like you can't give me?" the chance to actually start to fix this problem frankly the answer to the question i think is best answered by lane norton right lane norton says the easy answer is however long you've been dieting that's how long you've got to be not dieting right so that right there is like boom for a lot of people because on the one hand that they, they want to snuggle up to the dieting you know, when I started testing the um, name of the audiobook that I have coming out, Killing the Diet Industry, what I started to realize right off the bat was that people weren't interested in the title, Killing the Diet Industry. And if you think about why uh, people aren't interested in Killing the Diet Industry, because they want to still snuggle up to dieting. <laughs> they still want to believe that the deficit is the secret and, and, and. So I think the answer and, and Bracken speak to this as well, but the answer might not be Lane's answer where you know if you've been dieting since you were 14 years old, maybe you don't have any more dieting cycles, right um, because you're 62 and, and you've moved on. I think that, that Lane has not necessarily tested that. He's, he's using that as an extreme example to wake folks up. That, you know, the more you're dieting, right, the the less successful your dieting is going to be. And so what we see is that the people have been doing Eat to Form three, four, five years, and they've gone through multiple cycles, they get better and better each time. So usually, you know, we know that people are sort of anxious to get to the deficit piece and – you know, we set kind of a three-month timeline for a lot of those folks. Now, that's a guideline because there are some people, you know, there's a lot of people that will say, well, I have fat on my body. I'm overeating. Awesome. I have a great thing for you. Once we get you to TDEE and you are overeating your t- total daily energy expenditure, you'll see fat loss almost certainly, right? You're at a negative calorie balance. And so... What they realize is that they actually weren't overeating, right? And, you know, that their body actually needed more calories and they were just maybe had some bad habits or didn't get their sleep in place or all these different things. So, what's the time period? It's variable, right? And the person that is most acutely wanting to diet is probably the person that you need to have the most wake up call with, right? Um, I have a client, as an example, with a lot of weight to use, right? A lot of fat to use. That client has a lot of bad habits. We've got him eating 4,500 calories and he's down 30 pounds in roughly two weeks, okay? everyone thinks that you need to go super super extreme. Now don't get me wrong, this person that most of the people that come to us and say I'm overeating, they aren't overeating, not like this person was, right? So, you know, 4500 calories probably represents a significant deficit for him. Mm-hmm. And we've not really even done anything at this point to super clean things up, right? Once we start to really work on the sleep piece, really start to get some exercise. One of the, you know, one of the things that that you know, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but um, the big thing, you know, for an athlete in this situation is for them not to get hurt, you know, because you know that's a huge setback, and that's one of the problems. With, you know, the biggest loser type of approach of things or, or, you know, extreme fat loss, you know, all these shows where they're trying to put these through, you know, I mean, people with a lot of fat to use are not, their bodies aren't prepared for that level of, of you know, adaptation. And so they deal with a lot of overuse issues and, and stuff like that. But the 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 simple answer is you you're you're basically working through some level of trial and error. You know, and so if we can get people up to a baseline and they're relatively quick up to that baseline and and, and the elements that we're looking at is, you know, are they sleeping well? Okay, check, that one's good. All right, are they eating an adequate amount of food for what they do? Okay, check, that one's good. Um, are they working out fairly consistently check that is good there's something else that i'm missing but but what you're seeing is we're not just looking at the calories part you know if they're in a race just to get to the deficit ultimately what they you're going to figure out is that they're going to constantly be in rinse and repeat mode you know and you know their fear as it relates to getting back to normal calories, you know, a normal human being is not supposed to be trying to thrive on 1300 calories. And that's one of the reasons why we sort of, you know, walk people through what you're training. And that's a little bit of the theme that we're going to talk about in the second half. Any mm-hmm. thoughts on what I'm saying there, Brad?
1: Yeah. You know, I think there's a few other big concepts we should probably um, kind of uncover and talk about. as, you know, one of the things is the fact you know, Paul just mentioned you know trying to having the whole point of the process being trying to work your calories up to a specific number, then and just cut them back down is kind of missing the whole point, right? The whole a lot a lot of the piece of the the benefits and the adaptation actually come from training while your body is well fed, and the longer you can do that, the more long term success you have. What most people don't really appreciate and realize is the longer you can have your body functioning optimally and kind of driving a lot of you know, adaptations to your metabolism, your muscle, your health, your physiology, your strength, all those things means that any of the deficit cycles you want to do in the future are going to be exponentially more effective. And so the longer time you can spend working on improving your, your, your fitness, your health, all those sorts of things, that's really what you should be keen on. I mean, that really is kind of where most people's mental focus, and mental energy should be. So really the goal is to get your body to a well-fed state, train your face off for a long time, get stronger, get faster, get healthier, enjoy all those times. And then, you know, do the periodic cuts, so to speak, the, the periodic PFFLs to spend a little bit of time trying to focus on the loss piece. And that's where you get a lot more success. Um, I know for me, a lot of my times where I do that are few and far between. So if there's times where I need to make small adjustments to body composition, like the weight's going up a little bit more than I'd like, or the body composition's going a little bit in the wrong direction, my default answer is not let me go through an eight week cut. It's okay. Is there any ways I can increase a little bit of my activity? Can I walk a little bit more? Can I do a little more yard work? Can I do a little bit of those things? Um, can I add a little bit of volume on my training. That's usually for a lot of people, a much better approach to get real results than to just try to cycle the calories up and cycle the calories back down. I think that's a huge piece that people um, really need to kind of key in on, especially if you're a coach working with clients. Um, That's so important because you really have got to get that idea across.
0: Yes. Okay. So now I really need, coaches to listen to this piece because it's really super important you look at the best athletes in your gym what do they all have in common the people with the the ripped abs and all this other stuff a lot of them for the most part they don't think that much about what they eat right they have built enough work capacity that they have enough room you know they might be conscious of what they eat they might be you know um, aware of how much protein they're taking in and making sure that they're having enough carbohydrates to, to get in good workouts. But, you know, that's actually a big part of the second piece. But I think what Brad is saying is really important. We've got to use the examples that we have in front of us to say to someone, okay, so you think you're overeating, right? Cause that's why you ultimately have, you know, um, excessive bodily fat on your frame well show me you know show me you don't know, eat this much you know this is the prescribed amount of food that your you know total daily energy expenditure is you know and see what happens well what's going to happen is they're probably going to be start to gain a little bit of weight in that process okay well then you weren't overeating you were actually under-eating and you maybe had some of these other pieces that weren't right. And so if we can start working on those pieces, then that becomes you know the biggest thing. So I'm gonna talk about the macros right now, but I'm gonna I'm gonna break down uh, I'm gonna break down what Brad just said fairly easily. People think the macros are the big secret. And I would argue that macros are probably only five to 10% of the secret because if you don't sleep well and if you don't make, you know, keeping muscle on your frame a priority and you aren't working out consistently and you aren't getting in non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, you know, or using lists to your big ability, you know, and you're just trying to constantly stress your system out, you know, that's going to be a net negative. So here's what's going to happen for a lot of folks. And in general, it's, it's, it's kind of drop dead simple how we set up deficit cycles. Basically, we're just trying to get a, a client to lose one pound a week. And we're looking at, you know, there are examples where you can get a little bit more aggressive. But for the most part, that's not the kind of clients that we're seeing all the time. You know the clients that we're seeing all the time. You know, as a female, she's 165. She's 5'5. Five, five, you know, for that person, um, you know, we can um, typically just set up an eight to ten week cycle, where for the most part, they're looking at a 500 calorie deficit throughout the you know throughout the days. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But so the average deficit that we're looking at is roughly 500 calories for one pound a week and ultimately 8 to 10 pounds over the course of eight weeks first deficit here's what's gonna happen the athlete may or may not see the kind of results that they want to see because I think what you know and and a little bit some of this is anecdotal I will will fully admit that Um, but I think you sort of wake up the sleeping diet dragon, right? And you know, you don't have all the pieces in place. You don't have the work piece, capacity piece in place. You're still trying to do treadmill and all this other type of stuff. So what we see a lot is that one, people need to, to dig a little bit deeper, you know, in that first deficit cycle, right? or you know they can really affect things positive with lists and almost no one seems to want to do that everyone seems to want to hit it you know where they're they're doing high intensity interval training or you know they're really trying i'm I'm training for a triathlon i was hoping to cut you know when we talk about exercise, we're talking about stress. When we talk about dieting, we're talking about stress. We're, you know what I mean? And so, you know, what we really need to do is like really affect the stress environment. But when we set up a client's deficit, you know, there's really only one day, especially, you know, and, and once again, the deficit part's easy. You know, once you have all those other things in place, the sleep thing in place, the workout thing in place, all these other things, that's the 90%, <laughs> right? Right. But the problem is, is everyone wants to put that 10% in front and ignore the 90%. And I'm showing this on a daily basis with my trends, right, where my calories are 3,000 or more, you know, I'm sleeping eight to eight and a half hours a day, you know, and I'm not killing myself, you know. And people are like, I don't get it. You know, I'm not seeing the kind of results that you're seeing. It's like, well, you're also not doing the things that I've done. So now all of a sudden we get to that second deficit and the client has been training a little bit more effectively for six months outside of the last deficit. We've reversed them out. They're staying weight stable. They have a little bit of a buffer, right? Um, Here's what sort of happens the way we set clients up with their numbers. There's basically kind of high, medium, and low days, right? And what happens with people that think that the macros, you know, is the end all be all, that's the 90% and not the 10%. Let me tell you what happens, okay? They immediately get their numbers and they just go to that lowest number, lowest carb, right? Because... They're sort of defaulting to the bad mindset that they used to have. Like, oh, I'm absolutely certain that what Paul's been talking about for four fucking years, you know, is totally not relevant at all. And the the people just want to snuggle up to, you know, the lowest number, not realizing that it's the work. And remember that the high number represents normally a 500 calorie deficit, right? The low number, all the low number is doing is basically adjusting to a low level of volume. Right? And so it's a rest day. And so if you're on a rest day, you know, and you are you know, doing stair steppers and, and hit training and stuff like this, and you're wondering why you are not, you know, seeing the results that ultimately you want to see well first of all it might be your first deficit second of all you're cuddling up to you know all the things that actually brought you to us in the first place and then third of all you're not doing what we're saying what we're saying is let the work and the volume be the piece right and the best thing that that you know we talk about it all the time we're gonna hammer it until You know, you guys actually get what we're talking about, but minimal effective dose. Don't go to super extreme as quickly as possible. And if you want to try and build a deficit, okay, do so with as little stress as possible. Just walk your dog longer. You know what I mean? Like, don't get it, like Brad was saying, you know, be a little bit more conscious of the elements outside of of what you're doing. But, you know, what... People want to do, you know, you're lying to yourself if you don't tell yourself the truth. Let's be honest. You want to solve a lifetime of problems in 30 days and be done. And you want to never diet again because you hate that shit. Yet you've snuggled up to it your whole life. Okay? Give us a chance. Give us a real fighting chance to do minimal effective dose. Give us a real fighting chance to get to a deficit. Now, You know, you've gone through your three-month baseline and your PFFL, you might have to get a little bit aggressive, right, at that first time. Because, you know, once again, your body isn't fully acclimated to what Brad's talking about. But the longer and longer those cycles get, the better and more effective they will get. And here's the last point before I'll, I'll hand it over to Brad, you know. Because I mean, the deficit cycles are fairly easy, folks. We're just basically talking about a five hundred calorie deficit for most people. Anybody that you need to go more uh, deeper than that, you know, I'd much rather see them do it with lists, right? And we're going to talk about that in the second part of the theme here. Um, any any thoughts on what I'm saying there, Brad?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of things I kind of want to touch upon. Kind of the first one is. Uh, more of a philosophical thing is I think a lot of people miss the point of training, right? I think most people view training as this tool to, to fat loss and that's not what it is. Training, the whole point of, of working out and training and lifting and doing all this stuff is to become a better athlete, a better human being, all that sort of stuff. And so what you really need to kind of realize is you should be approaching your training from that perspective. The training is to do all the other things and the calorie deficit pieces are not the key to doing that. So like Paul was talking about, you know, people who are trying to cut while they're doing training for a triathlon, well, you're kind of missing the whole point of training for the triathlon, right? Point of training for the triathlon is to increase your cardiovascular health, increase your work capacity, increase your endurance, you know, improve all those things. So do that in the most optimal state you can. Be well fed and train for your triathlon. Can I can
0: I interrupt for just a second, Brad? Because there's one thing that I think is really super important that trainers don't tell their clients. You get fat loss in the up, right? So you know when you think about what you know, and we're actually working on a book right now related to Recomp, But basically, what we're talking about in this piece is a recon, right? So when you're getting better at exercise, when you are doing more sets and reps with rest, when you are eating more food as a result, you're not only affecting your metabolism positively, you're not only affecting all the fat loss pieces, you're also affecting your lean mass, right? So if you stay weight stable as you add new and more effective tissue You are addressing fat loss. The problem is, is it's not acute, right? It's not, I lost 40 pounds in 40 days. You know, look at me. Well, you know, you're going to gain it all back plus, right? Mm -hmm. Why do people's metabolism get compromised when they're dieting all the time, right? Why is that scientifically proven over and over again? And if you ask everyone, they know it's true. Right. They know they can't under eat all the time, but they're scared out their mind to actually do what it takes to improve their metabolism and just be done with kind of these endless deficit cycles that are just rinse and repeat, you know, that really don't look like eat to perform. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to acutely address lean mass. Right. And you do that with more food, and very specific types of work. I'm sorry. I, I, I just felt like if I didn't talk about the piece where you're going up, you know, that some people were going to get lost in that process.
1: Yeah. And so the, the whole, the whole point that you were trying to make about the lean mass piece is something most people don't really appreciate. So when you are kind of running through long periods of deficits, diet cycles, those sorts of things, The primary things that are affected are your lean mass. So 20 years of deficit cycles mean you have a lot of lean mass problems that need to be fixed. And rebuilding that takes time. You know, anything valuable worth building is going to take some time and it's going to take some hard work. And so what you see is the more time you spend working on the lean mass piece, which is really the most important, the better. And then that's really what should be a, a big piece of the focus. Um, I think the other thing, you know, kind of along the whole timeline thing is like Paul mentioned, you know, is and since this has to do with some of the certification kind of pieces is as coaches, we have people coming to us who have 30 years of problems they want solved with a calculation and some magical numbers. And that's, that's one of those things that's just an impossible situation. And it's not, it's not the focus, nor is it, what we should be putting our energy on, right? The the TDEE and the macro questions um, sometimes miss the forest for the trees, right? What we have to realize is even even if we figure out the perfect formula for, for TDEEs and macros, is that still a moving target, right? Everybody's TDEE is going to be a little bit different. There's a lot of art and, and nuance in that, but that's kind of also not missing the point is those are more just small tools we have that we use but those aren't really the, the main focus, right? It's all the other pieces. And that's really one of the, the key things to remember as a coach is you've got all these other things that are the primary drivers of success. And figuring those out is really pretty key.
0: Yeah, I mean, the magical numbers are not the deficit numbers. And once again, we're not saying you know that you would never be in a deficit. But the magical numbers are your squat progression numbers. The magical numbers are pace. The magical numbers are you sprinting better. The magical numbers are, are you improving at exercise and potentially building lean mass in that process? You know, when I went through my PFL recently and I started reversing out of it, it was almost shocking how, um, how my fatigue level changed, right, and how, you know, during PFFL, I had to drag my ass out of a chair, you know, to be a little bit more disciplined as it related to, you know, seeing calorie burns. I mean, I haven't, you know, uh, you know, two days ago, I think I ended up burning like 2,900 calories. I didn't do nothing, right? Right other than, you know, just having more energy throughout the day, you know. Um, And, you know, a lot of people that, you know, say they have a sedentary job and, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, super energetic people. You know, I I appreciate that. But, you know, why don't we start eating an adequate amount of food and then show me what happens, you know, because you don't know, right? What you don't know right now is that you actually do have the potential to be a high energy person. You're just compromising
1: it artificially. So, yeah, I think, go ahead. I think the, uh, the sedentary job piece, and this is, I think a lot of people use that as a crutch. I mean, there's days where I have 12 hours of meetings and I can still find ways to get some movement in, right? You've, you, you can get it in if it's, if it's a priority.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, so so Donna's saying something about sleep and water. Um, I agree on the hydration piece, but I don't agree on the water piece all, all the time. And and you know, Brad had a great if if you guys haven't listened to, you know, I mean, we know we have a lot of female clients, right? If you've not listened to that one you know, you're really missing the boat. It's, it's with uh, Brad and Mike and, and uh, Jeff Rothschild. And what Jeff's talking about is hydration, but he's talking about carbohydrates and some level of salt, all the things that are super negatives, right? You know, they're supposed to be like the things that are just going to ruin everything for you. You know, well, those things actually allow your body to hold water. So there's a lot of people drinking their 10 glasses of water a day and just peeing it out. And frankly, in terms of nutrient absorption, it's probably a net negative. I almost never drink water consciously. I'm not, you know, one of the things I did do was I put my water on my um, island in my kitchen. So when i'm you know thirsty the water's right there in front of me but what jeff talked about i thought it was great he's like i don't think all these people need to be doing that if they just drank water when they were thirsty they would be fine um also what you'll see a lot of times if i'm on a call you know i'll be drinking water with a nun tap you know it just sort of depends but you know having a little electrolytes you know especially for somebody that trains, I think it's probably good to be a little bit ahead of. And then when we're talking about electrolytes, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things involved there, but really what we're talking about is sodium, (laughs) you know? And so sodium supposedly is the, 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 the super negative, right? It actually becomes a very big positive when you're training, right? And it helps, you know, absorption in the small intestine, and stuff like that and so those things are are pieces that we want to keep in mind so i did want to kind of cover let's get to the theme i think we went through over the deficit i'm fairly certain you know we're gonna still gonna get a lot of questions about that but honestly the deficit ain't that hard really what we're looking at is a net deficit of 3500 calories a week and if you aren't losing weight guess what you're either overeating or you're you know under moving, you know, and, you know, obviously we're making the argument for upping your level of activity throughout my total PFFL, I burned 3000 calories. I just told you I had to get my ass out of the chair. And oh, by the way, I have a sedentary job. I am sitting down right now talking to you, you know, so quit using that stuff as an excuse and get out there and do the work. So. I think it's sort of interesting to talk about how bodybuilders work out. And to a certain extent, I also think it's interesting to talk about how CrossFit Games athletes work out. Because it's almost certainly not the way you work out.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Everyone looks at Rich Froning and they focus on Wow, that dude works out three to four days a week or three to four hours, three to four times a day. Yeah, yeah, he does, you know, but not like you, right? If you look at the design, first of all, it's sort of funny because people want to play Rich Froning off as like this bumpkin. Rich Froning got a degree. (laughs) <laughs> in, in exercise physiology right he's one of the smartest people as it relates to program design that you know exists in crossfit and that that's you know he's also smart enough to realize that there's some things that he doesn't know and that he could use a coach for but he's the primary mover as it relates to what he does and i think that's one of the reasons why he's always been so successful but if you if you want proof of what I'm about to say, all I need you to do is Google 2010 Rich Froning, and then now Google 2016 Rich Froning, and tell me if you notice a difference. Because 2010 Rich Froning, yeah, he had abs, but he was about 20 pounds less, right? Look like he was yeah i mean he still he still looked good you know but but i mean he's just thick right now you know and whenever somebody tells me that rich you know is is you know 185 pounds i'm like you've clearly never seen rich in real life you know rich is constantly around 200 and it wouldn't surprise me if a good majority of the time he's at 210 you know um, that came up actually in, in the meal planning group where somebody was talking about, you know they've gained 10 pounds, you know, and it's really affected their endurance. It's sort of interesting to me that people will look at what they believe eat to perform to be and then, you know, talk about their their weight gain as a net negative. Why are we not looking at the thing that you did previous to this? as the reason that you had a problem, right? I mean, if you were eating 800 calories, you know, and now all of a sudden we're trying to to fix that, maybe your body actually wanted to be 10 pounds heavier, right, you know, in some examples, that is going to be the case. Um, I think the good majority of people, like we talked about earlier, would be better off patient because, you know, frankly, there becomes like a mental thing that sort of happens there. But you control the switch. See, that's the thing I think, you know people have gone their whole life being reliant upon all these systems and what Brad and I are trying to do and Mike and all the to perform coaches, we're actually trying to show you the amount the, the amount that of control that you have. And a lot of that control comes from the movement piece and and the work piece. But getting back to um you know rich and his example and, and and you see it with all the ladies too i mean carl webb go back to carl webb three four years ago you know even annie you know annie came in very muscular you know a lot of the the iceland ladies they came in very muscular but but she's so much thicker you know what i mean as an athlete than than she was previous to that and i think that that tells a story that I'm about to tell. So bodybuilders Talk to me I mean, do you know many bodybuilders that use hit as a regular you know thing? I'm Brad shaking his head no
1: for the podcast people. They almost yeah, m- it's it's maybe a two to three percent of their whole training and that hit usually is not the hit you're thinking of. It's usually like prowler pushes style hit. Yeah. Which is a different type of stimulus than actual hit training.
0: And I would argue that CrossFit isn't hit, right? Because not not in like Tabata type hit, you know, where you're going to maximal – and it's like super because, you know, when you're doing, say, you know, a 10 to 15, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of gyms are doing 20 to 25 minute wads. You've got to pace that and getting above the red line. Ultimately, you're just going to end up, you know, hands on knees and you're not working out at that point. And so mm-hmm. so I would argue that a lot of of what happens with CrossFit. But but here's the other thing, too, with bodybuilding, you know, because I think that that what you just said. You know, if you're trying to get lean and you're ultimately, because everybody sort of plays the, um, well, I wanna gain more lean mass and lose fat in that process. Okay, well, then we need to talk about what it takes to gain lean mass, right? Because if all you're doing is the opposite of what bodybuilders are doing, then that should be a gigantic clue to you, you know? So if you're, you know, just constantly doing these Tabata sets five times a week, you know what I mean? And and really just working up these gigantic burns and, and stuff like that. There are times where, you know, bodybuilders are going to be tapering. But the good majority of the time, what they're really trying to do is put on lean mass without having, you know, I mean, you know, it always brings up. You know, you can't have this discussion without having a PED discussion, you know. Because when you see bodybuilders that use PEDs compared to natural bodybuilders, it's a very different physique body type, right? And where I think you know something like CrossFit has come in and sort of filled the gap is you've got a lot of accountants, lawyers, these types of folks that go, okay, I don't want to be Phil Heath, right? But like some version of 52-year-old Dan Bailey looks good to me, you know, or some of these, like, you know, master's athletes. I think the other thing, too, is that when you see a master's athlete, just default to the fact that that dude was a Division three lacrosse player, right? Like, these guys had fitness as a priority in their whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you have to sort of, factor in your scale like i posted a a picture of myself you know from the 2006 world series might have been 2004 actually um but uh you know i was super super heavy and and you know 230 pounds at that time cortisol monster didn't sleep you know all these different types of things i mean is it reality to go from that to brad pitt you know, and I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are thinking to themselves, well, if I just lost 20 pounds, I'd feel good about myself. That guy that I posted, you know, with that poker pitcher, I felt good about that guy right then and there, right? That guy had some bad habits that ultimately I needed to work through. And ultimately that landed me to where I I was. But some level, you know, harder always screwed me right smarter and harder is how i landed in the spot that i was in and so talk to me brad a little bit about you know the hours that bodybuilders are are putting in so let let's just go phil heath how many hours a day do you think Phil Heath is putting in?
1: You know, depending on time of year, it's probably hour, hour and a half. It would be probably what his, his training looks like in a given day um, for, for most of the season. Um, that's probably right about where he's coming in at.
0: Right. Now, calories at that point, you know, I mean, most of this stuff has been pretty published out there, but we're still looking at six to 8,000 calories right yeah you know um and what you often will see is that at various times the workouts will go out even longer you know up to three hours Mm -hmm. so when they're doing three hours they're not doing it you know boom 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 you know they're getting in certain amount of work and there's a lot of rest involved, right? So the actual time of movement is pretty small, you know, almost certainly less than an hour. But, you know, the investment in time is quite high. You know, yeah. what you'll often hear from bodybuilders is that for them to eat the six to 8,000 calories that they need to eat, eating becomes a chore, you know. Um, And I'm using an an extreme example. I mean, a a natural bodybuilder is probably going to be looking more similar, you know, to what Brad's saying, where, you know, their recovery is going to be compromised, right? And so they're not going to be able, you know, when you don't have PEDs in place, you know, basically your recovery gets compromised and you have to be a lot smarter about that. Um, any thoughts on that piece, Brad?
1: Um, on the food piece or the training piece?
0: I, I really think that the training piece is the important beca- part because, you know, what we're talking about is muscle stimulation and muscle activation. And then. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a big thing I want people to take a, a little bit of honest self reflection. I think so many of us, our workouts are, I mean, myself included, a lot of times are just going through the motions. Um, and even those bodybuilders, when they're doing their their three hour training sessions is their sets are intense and then their rest is intense, right? It's like, you've really got to focus on the task at hand and know that when you're training, you're training for a certain purpose and that when you're, you're resting, you're resting for a certain purpose, but you got to put a little bit more emphasis on, you know, the training piece and not just going through the motions, but making your training actually what it's for
0: right so bringing that back to the crossfit piece okay so now you're a crossfitter you have an hour investment a day and you go what's my version of Andy Thorstarter? what's my version of Rich Froning right or what's my version of a master's athlete well a little bit of the clues come from bodybuilders Talk to me about what a bodybuilder's cardio would look like, just as a general rule. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people are going to be doing things, and at times cardio becomes a bigger piece. You know, at times, obviously, they would want to lessen it, right? Because they're going to want to make sure that they're mostly anabolic. And they're mostly focusing on muscle activation, muscle stimulation.
1: So during a large part of the year, when they're just trying to focus on lean mass, is their cardio is almost non-existent. I mean, it's it's such a small piece of their training that you really could call it non-existent. You know, they, they spend virtually all their focus and time on the muscle building piece. Um, and then really the whole point of the cardio during their kind of contest prep season or their cut season is just to drive – that calorie deficit through a little more work instead of starving themselves down even more, because if they're, if they try to make that deficit bigger by eating less, they're sacrificing their muscle tissue. But if they just do a little bit more low intensity work, they can drive a little bit bigger of a deficit without having to sacrifice the calories needed to maintain muscle tissue. So for a good portion of the year, they're not even worried about that piece. They're worried about the important piece, the, they're trying to build the muscle piece. And CrossFit athletes do the same thing for the large majority of the season. They're focusing on the building, the tissue. I mean, most of their work, if you look at guys like, you know, rich and a lot of those people, they spend a good portion of the year trying to get bigger and trying to get stronger because they know the conditioning piece doesn't take that long. Right. You can be, you can get in game shape conditioning for those people in a lot shorter time span than you can add on 20 pounds to your clean and jerk or, you know five pounds of lean tissue
0: so they just they know that piece yeah i mean they, they do they do keep the piece in the bucket you know and so like you know one of the things that you know people have seen is that rich has gotten a lot better at swimming than he used to be well you know that's really a skill right um and so he worked on that skill early on but but like brad's saying the taper for a bodybuilder is real similar to the taper for you know a CrossFit games athlete going into competitive seasoning. You know, now all of a sudden, you know, the focus is gonna be a little bit more on heavy, keep some conditioning in the mix, and then as they start to taper closer to the games, now all of a sudden conditioning becomes a much, much bigger piece.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, at what intensity, when they're doing cardio, are they doing it?
1: Um, As as low and slow as possible.
0: Long. Long. And they know that the investment is long. So, you'll see these just gigantic human beings spending two hours on a treadmill. Right? And they're walking. You know? And to me... That is indicative of how you keep lean mass, you know, and how you create a deficit without destroying your tissue. And that's the opposite of the way that, you know, the biggest loser approach and the way that everybody wants to do it. They want to pay the price as quickly as possible, and they're always landing in the same damn spot and they're rinsing and repeating. And if you're a customer, you know of Eat to Perform, you know you need to start to change your mindset. But if you're in the coach's certification, you've got to you've got to have conversations with your clients and say you've been doing this same bad approach for a long time and it hasn't worked. So why are you always snuggling up to that? What makes you want? It's sort of like being you know I was joking the other day with my wife about. You know, today is a great example. I live in Minnesota, and today is a beautiful day. We will get out, and we will do all kinds of cool things. But living in Minnesota is like being a golfer, you know? golf Golfers tend to stay golfers because of that one or two shots that you get each time, and it convinces that you could potentially be really good at golf. But it was almost by accident. That's sort of what, you know, being... A Minnesotan is like, you know. But it's like snuggling up to a bad relationship, you know. Um, and I'm not (laughs) I'm sort of making the comparison that living in Minnesota is like snuggling up to a bad relationship. But they're looking
1: for one or two glory moments, right? Yeah. That's not what this is the whole point.
0: Yeah, I mean, like like in San Diego, they take for granted all the beautiful days that they have in Minnesota hell, we're like strapping on backpacks and, and jumping on the mountain bike. And, you know, we got to get it in because it can turn real shitty real quick, you know? That's what I think a lot of people do with food and exercise is they have like a really shitty approach, you know? And every single time they start to struggle, they snuggle, they snuggle up to their really shitty approach. And, you know, what yeah, we're... Yeah.
1: I think Mike said this perfectly on a podcast not too long ago when we were talking about it is, you know, having the skills and being in control is so much more successful. You know, people who feel like they're in more control and don't have the panic button and just be like, all right, well now I just got to do this. And it takes a little bit longer, but I know what I need to do. And I'll do it. That's, that's the, the better mindset of approaching stuff, right? That rather than the, hitting the panic alarm and being like, I have to do all these extreme things to get a result quick is, you know, kind of the knowing you have the skills and the tools and you're in control of the trajectory of your journey is a really key piece.
0: Yeah. So we did have one question. I promised a person that I would answer their question um, because they got a diagnosis from a doctor Where they needed to go on heart medication based on a genetic deficiency. And they're currently doing PFFL. And what I said to her is, you can't do PFFL right now. You can't get a diagnosis that you are stressing out your system. And then also snuggle up to stressing out your system. So then she was like, well... I don't want to gain weight in that process either and you know once again we 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 kind of covered it right throughout this process there's two things right are you eating too much or are you working out too little and you know that volume piece as we talked about matters a great deal I know she's limited to 20 minutes of walking a day and um the first thing that I asked her was, you know, what about weightlifting? I mean, she's level 50, right? So if you're not, I mean, I, you know, it's it's universal in each form land that um, 50 is um, age. I mean, she's, she's got ab definition. You know, she does a lot of dedicated ab work. Um, I don't really know all that much about her strength progression but one of the things that I suggested to her now you want to be careful with this as well because you know you go to maximal effort and you're still going to be you know getting your heart rate up and stuff like that probably a little bit more sets and reps you know in like the 40 to 50% range is going to make a little bit more sense. My guess is that most doctors would even caution you from that standpoint, and I would default to their advice in that instance. Most of the things that you're going to want to do is really focus on on less stress. So you go, well, what do I do from a calorie standpoint? Do I eat my total daily energy expenditure? The answer is technically yes, right? But you're not eating your total daily energy expenditure at extra activity. You're going to eat your total daily energy expenditure at moderate, you know. And so you just bring your calories down to a point where, you know, you're staying weight stable, you know, because she was asking, well, how do I do eat to perform in this instance? And I think people look at eat to perform as if, you know, like Brad and I were just talking, you know, the other day. You guys would all laugh at how little we actually do, you know, Um, but what we do is really effective, you know, and what I think is happening is you guys are trying to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, you know, hoping that it gets you the desired result rather than kind of, you know, my program design and what works for me has been a process of elimination that has tried a lot of different pieces. You know, last year I was doing long endurance running. This year I'm doing more rucks. I'm finding that that is better for my recovery. Yesterday was deadlift day. I decided not to deadlift because I'm still dealing with a little CNS fatigue. Did a ruck. Was fine. Um, If you're looking at my trend sheet, you go, well, your weight was up. Well, that's a little bit of... Pizza, <laughs> you know, like weight's gonna be up with pizza. That's just the way that works, you know. But it's it's actually some of those fluctuations that are helpful. You know, it's interesting whenever I show Mike my um, variance related to my scale, and he loves variance, you know, because that shows a high functioning metabolism, you know. And one of the things that I'm sort of playing with right now, you know, is making sure that my rest day calories are a lot higher. So what you've seen in this last week, if you're looking at my food log or whatever, is one, I'm trying to get my sugars a little bit lower, trying to get my fiber up a little bit, but also trying to find that happy ground at about 25 to 2700 on rest days, you know, mm-hmm. without these huge burns. Because as I was reversing out, I was opting for a little bit more lists you know, and yeah, that was keeping me You know, closer to that 178 to 179 number. But I'm much tighter today, as an example, at 181.4 than I was at 177.8 because I have full muscles, you know. Um, So I think for, for, um, you know, anybody that gets a medical diagnosis, you know, and you're in a dieting cycle, you got to stop, you know. Just you do, you know, and that gives you an opportunity to really focus on those other pieces. And I know that that's frustrating because we all want to snuggle up to less weight, less fat, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it comes to what are you prioritizing in your life, you know, and when you find out that you have, you know, all these different issues, you know, you've got to really focus on, you know, kind of the whack-a-mole. (laughs) You know, we got to get that piece, you know, back in the box before we can really start looking at anything different. But I think that some level of weight training, especially if that's allowed through your doctor, you know, we can really address lean mass. I mean, she sent me a picture and oh, my God. I mean, she's like, you know, I mean, she's not shredded, but for 50 years old, I mean, she's goal body. You know what I mean? For a lot of 50 year olds. I mean, there's, there's a lot, of, you know, and I know we all kind of get through that where um, you don't judge yourself by, you know, the people that aren't where you're at, you know, and I totally get that, you know, you're in a CrossFit gym and you've been CrossFitting for five to six years. You're not going to judge yourself by the new person that came in, but it should allow some level of reflection. You know what I mean? And I think that that's an important piece. Um, Anything you want to add there before we shut it down, Brad?
1: No, I think this has been really helpful for a lot of people. I think we covered a lot of good ground um, and just, you know, kind of giving some people some insight into what things that are really important actually are. And, you know, make sure that as you're going through your journey is don't misplace your focus because where you place your focus is key. You know, there's a lot of minutiae and things that we all worry about that um, detract from the bigger message. And, you know, focus on those really key pieces, and you're going to be a lot more successful and you're going to be a lot more happy with your approach than, you know, trying to worry about the things that are not really that important.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the other thing, too, you know, because especially with the, the coaching certification, is everybody focuses on the deficit piece, right? and the deficit piece has been covered to death virtually everything out there is talking about the deficit piece so that's the easy part the hard part is all these other pieces right that need to get fixed the problem is is that for most people and if if somebody came into your gym and they're like i need to lose 30 pounds like in 30 days you know The first discussion you need to have with them is why, right? Like what what is causing the urgency? And they'll say, well, I talked to my doctor and my doctor says I'm 30 pounds overweight. Did your doctor say you needed to lose 30 pounds in 30 days though? Right? And now you can break down. Now we can have a discussion of what 30 pounds might actually be because You know, one of the things that a doctor would say is if you you gain 10 pounds of muscle, right, now you don't need to lose 30 pounds. You only need to lose 20 pounds, you know. And as we can start to have rational conversations with the customer, if you let the customer take the lead, you lose, right? And they lose too, by the way, right? But if you allow yourself to lead the discussion, now we can see meaningful progress over time. And yes, it requires a little bit more patience, but at the same time, you know, that's what's going to land people with the best result. And I want to end kind of on on this piece. When the New York Times talked about the biggest loser ruining everybody's metabolism, everybody started messaging me. Finally, someone's saying what you're saying. When you look at the 80 pounds of fat loss, that I received it did not come from starving myself doing a lot of hit <laughs> you know what I mean um that's not where the good majority you know the deficits that I built looked a lot more like slower cardio um and a lot of hiking and you know changing some habits and and moving things and and I wasn't near as good as I am now, and five years from now I'll be a lot better than I am today, right? And so, you know, what we're trying to teach you guys is how to use trial and error, so you can see the the results that you ultimately want to see. It doesn't mean that you're doomed to being, you know, the weight that you are all this time, but you know, snuggling up to the starvation piece is sort of what we're trying to talk people out of. So. I appreciate everybody being here. I do think we covered a lot of ground. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate that. Sometimes alone, it gets to be a little bit more difficult, and it's cool to have. It's cool to have Q and A, right? But a lot of times with Q and A, we we don't get to advance the topic enough, and I think that's what today did. So appreciate everybody being here, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye bye.
1: All right. Take care, Paul.